Today we are going to conclude our baggage series. And if you're joining us for the first time, don't you worry. I'm going to give you a recap um, to be able to catch you up in a nutshell as best as I can, uh, as best as we can do. And we're, we're excited for what God is doing through this. And I truly hope and pray that this has been helpful for you, that you've been able to extract and be, been able to take away from this and be able to apply uh, some things to your life. I, I've heard some great testimonies uh, of lives being changed as a result of this. And can I tell you, God is not finished yet. God is not finished yet. So just to recap, week one, uh, we checked our baggage, checking our baggage, and we we acknowledged it in our lives that everybody has it. Everybody has it. You're not different. You're not strange. Uh, because of the baggage, everyone uh, has it. And the truth is that some of us, uh, I can say in past tense, that we're not enjoying the journey. Not enjoying the journey, not because of the destination, but because of the things that just latched onto us. Whether it be relational uh, or whether it be unforgiveness that we held on to, whether it be some hurt that was legitimately done to you. And, and I, I do want to say what was done to you is not okay, but being able to release that to, to God is just liberating in and of itself. We, we understood that the biblical term, what the Bible describes as a stronghold, that's something that truly just has a stronghold on you, that it just won't let you go. Um, Last week, we talked about the bag that won't let go, uh, that as we accept Jesus in our lives and, and we go through the process that the Bible outlines as a transformation or sanctification, um, that immediately when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're able to get rid of a lot of the things that we once were, that we once did. But there's just that one thing. There's just that one thing that seems to hold on that we just can't seem to shake. And we believe that we let that go last week in Jesus' name um, and, and are done with that. And today, um, what I just want to do is I want to talk about what, what do we do now? The maintenance, uh, so to say. Um, that once you experience the freedom that, that God indeed has for you, where, where do we go now? And I have some, some biblical, some practical steps that I'm going to share with you today on how to stay free. How to stay free. How to stay free. That's God's will for your life. That that habit, that that choice, that that decision, that that addiction, whatever it may be for you, would not creep up in your life again, but that you would stay free and live the life that he called you to live. John 10.10 10 says, he says, I came. The thief, yeah, he came to seek, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life. And not just life, because there's a difference between breathing and living. He said, I came to give you life and life in abundance. And anything short of that, we're settling. And I don't know about you, but settling season is over. I refuse to settle and say, this is good enough. I'll live with some of the baggage. No, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. So today we're going to talk about that, the counterattacks, the counterattacks, how to deal with them because our enemy doesn't give up quickly. He will come back again and again. We 
We understood last week, we see through the scripture that the Bible tells us that when we resist the devil, he will flee. But it's the resisting part that we have an issue with. Resist the devil and he will flee. He does not give up easily. And we have to be ready for those attacks. And we have to know that he's going to try to come back into our lives in one way or the other to be able to bring us back to that one place, to that place that we found ourselves in. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 11. And and what I want to share is you have known someone, maybe that has overcome a habit, maybe has overcome an addiction, but then give it some time and then they found themselves in that same struggle. It's a reality of what we live in, of the life that we live in. People can experience freedom... And we can get there. But what happens when the attack comes again? Are you ready? You're with me this morning. All right. Luke chapter 11, 24 and 26. Jesus says these words, and they're pretty strong words. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert. I think he was talking about Arizona, not West Texas. All right. Goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none. It says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. And we believe we did that. Have cleaned out some stuff and have decluttered and have let go of things that have held us hostage. Finds that home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so the person is worse off than before. Now, I know that's not very encouraging. Um, But let let me get into this. The temptation, the habit, will try to make its way back to you. That thing that you have struggled with in the past, that you have let go of, will try to come and find you again. And the reality is that most Christians are not prepared to be able to maintain their freedom. So I want to quickly shed light on a cycle that happens. And we see it in government, in our government. We see it in businesses. And we see it in our personal lives. We may see it in our morals. And the cycle starts with freedom. That initial experience of being able to fight for it and to achieve it and to say, I'm really going to work at this because I want a different life. I want something different for me. I want something different for my marriage. I want something different for my family. I want something different for just the environment that I find myself in. So the initial experience is to achieve freedom, to be able to get there, to be able to obtain it. And what we find after you obtain freedom is that freedom will always produce prosperity. The second thing. Most people, the truth is that most people don't know how to handle their newfound freedom. So they respond in arrogance. Or maybe they respond in complacency. And they stop fighting, they stop doing the things that they once did to be able to get the freedom that they were fighting for in the first place, but now that they're there, they just settle. And they're, they're just in cru- they're on cruise control mode. 
all the things that were once done are no longer present. The effort is no longer there. And as a result of this, people then end up in that cycle of bondage again. So again, my whole objective, my goal for us this morning is to help you avoid this. There's some things in life that we will go through, but I want to tell you there's some things that we can't avoid. The early church experiences. The early church experiences when, when we understand that in the Old Testament, the old covenant that, that had set, that, that they had, the people had to, they had to go perform sacrifices and kill, kill animals to be able to blot out the sins of the people. And, and then we understand that Jesus comes and, and he makes right. And we understand that the writer of the book of Hebrews, when he does, um, when he looks at the old covenant and the new covenant, he's, he's making a comparison, a comparative analysis of the two. And Paul is addressing some of the things to a, a church that he established, the church in Galatia, that, that went right back to the old way of doing things. They went right back. They, they, they thought that when people joined their church, they had to make them go through certain things and there were certain requirements uh, that, that had to be done. And Paul is, is a little frustrated with the church in Galatia because he sees that 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 Jesus truly bought them with a price and there is freedom for them but but they were so stuck that they wanted to go back and say nope we we have to do things like this and and we have to it was just a very religious mindset that they found themselves in and, and these people had been set free from religion and the church started putting all these burdens and all these yokes and all these unnecessary rules on the new believers. And, and Paul, in his frustration, and, and, and he admonishes the church. He says in Galatians 5 and 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened. There you see the key word again. Again by a yoke of slavery. And that's my message for you today. Impact City, do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the way you used to live. Don't go back to that thing in your life. You know what that thing is for you. That we would continually and perpetually stay in freedom. And that we would never go back to bondage. And you ask the question, is it possible? Can I avoid the cycle that you outlined? Yes, it is possible. It is possible, and I want to share with you three ways how we're able to maintain our freedom. How can I stay out of bondage? How can I avoid that vicious cycle that has been so present in my life that I've been able to knock that habit for two weeks, and I have, I've been able to avoid that website for a month, and then all of a sudden it creeps back up again. How can I avoid the cycle in my life? The first is this, humility. Humility. Most people lose their freedom because of arrogance. Because of a certain mindset to say, I got this. 
I've been doing this long enough. And to say, it's not an issue for me. Or to be able to look at somebody and say, I'm, I'm better than them. Or to be able to look at and, and just be critical of someone and say, at least I don't do what they do. It's arrogance. It's arrogance. When we think we have it all figured out. The Bible tells us that pride goes before a fall. Lord help us. And a haughty spirit before destruction. Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. But instead, to avoid arrogance, if we could just do this one simple attitude, when God blesses you, when he makes a way for you, when he opens a door for you that wouldn't have been open unless it was him, that every day that we would say, God, on my best day, I still fall short. That I would say, God, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that we would have an attitude of humility and say, God, it doesn't matter what I accomplish in this world. If you wouldn't have done what you did for me the way you did for me, when you did for me, I wouldn't have any of it in the first place. That I would say, God, it is not by might and it is not by power, but it is by your spirit that I'm able to do anything. Come on, Impact City, that if we would stay in a humility state and say, God, I need you in all my ways, I will acknowledge you. And I know that you will direct my paths, that I can't do it. I really can't. I can't. I need him. I need him. That everything is because of him. That everything that I have and everything that you have and everything that we have as a church is from a merciful God who gives us what we don't deserve. It's all because of him. First Peter 5 and 6 says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The key to going up is to get down. It is just to be in a, just to stay in an attitude of humility. I heard a preacher say it this way it's, it, it's humility or it's humiliation. One's self initiated, the other God initiates. Humility or humiliation. David understood this. That even when he messed up, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. Had his failures, had his shortcomings, just like me, just like you. Had his challenges, had his proclivities, had the sin, just like me, just like you. All of this. But when it came to repentance, you couldn't beat David on repentance. You couldn't beat him on repentance. Psalms 51 says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, that you would blot out my transgressions, that you would wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then verse 17 says this, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit because a broken and contrite heart. 
you, God, will not despise. That everything we have is because of him. And I want to tell you that when it comes your way, that we would just stay, that we would stay humble. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we accomplish. It's all because of Jesus. Don't fall back in the, in the cycle because of arrogance. Don't fall back because of arrogance. The second thing is this, it's honesty. Humility and honesty. When you're being tempted, when, you, when that bag starts knocking on your door, that we could look at the situation and be honest. It, it doesn't help when we're in denial. That we're honest. And can I tell you that just because that bag comes and tries to trip you up, that just because you've fallen doesn't mean that that bag has to come back into your life. No, the Bible says that the righteous falls seven times, but seven times he gets back up again. When that bag comes knocking back, that we would look at it and that we would be honest. And look what 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says. If. And that's the thing. If. If we confess our sins. That, that's, the, that's the part where some of us get stuck in because we don't. We're not honest and say, God, there's sin in my life. I've been critical. I've been hateful. I've been gossiping. I've done this. I've done that. What, what is it? If we confess our sins. What does the Bible say? He is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. He is the one that forgives our sins. But look what James 5.16 says. Therefore, when you confess your sins to each other, this doesn't mean that you post it on Facebook. Uh, can I tell you that not everybody in this life is for you? I would love to say that everybody's for you, but I've lived long enough to, to know that there's not, not everybody's in my corner. And not everybody's in your corner, but you got to find some people. The Bible says two are better than one. The Bible, I, I can tell you, I, while everyone is not in your corner, I can tell you that there are people in this room that love you, that care for you, that will pray for you, that will be there and say, yeah, you may have fallen, but I'm going to help you get back up. I'm going to dust you off. Th this is what, that there is healing when we go to each other. And if I say, hey, brother, I'm struggling with this. Can you just pray for me? And, and as we talked about last week, can you hold me accountable? That I'm going through this because look what the Bible says. And then we pray for each other. It doesn't say that we talk about each other. It doesn't say that we run and, and tell everybody that we know. No, it says that we pray for each other, each other so that you may be healed. There is power in accountability. And there are people, like I said, in this room that you can trust and that you can go to find somebody. That's why we tell you, join, join a small group. It's not for any other reason but for you to be cared for, to be taken care of, to be prayed for each day. 
by name. The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God is the only one that can forgive. We'll never, we'll never, never be under the misconception that someone in this room can forgive your sins. None of us have that authority and that power. Only he does. He forgives sins. But we have to find people that we can trust to be in our corner. To pray with us. To believe with us. Don't convince yourself that you can handle it yourself. Don't convince yourself that you got this all on your own. Because the truth is that if we fall into that trap, chances are you'll need this series again. So if we, we want to maintain it, we need humility. We need honesty. And the third is this. We need the person of the Holy Spirit. We need the person of the Holy Spirit. The third is that we, we can't do it on our own. You can't maintain freedom in your own effort. I can't maintain freedom in my own effort. I need his power in my life. We need his power in our lives. Paul, as he's closing, is writing to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians. He, he gives them these great and powerful truths. And then he says this in, in verse, uh, chapter 13 and verse 14. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of of the Holy Spirit be with you all. At the end of it all, Paul says, he, he's written some incredible stuff, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And he says, at the end of it all, that the grace of God and that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit may it be with you. Because if you're going to keep this going, you need his spirit. We need it in our lives. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If, there it is again, indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Does the Spirit of God live in you today? Because the fact of the matter is that we need His role. In our lives. Second Corinthians 3 and 17. I shared this with you last week. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. So we need this relationship. You need, you need the relationship. Of the Holy Spirit. To be alive in you. To maintain this freedom. I need it. To have the power of his spirit that we have to go after God like we've never gone after God before. We need this to have the power of his spirit. And I'll, I'll close with one unique and powerful story of this guy in the Bible that we know as Jacob. 
Jacob, and boy, did he have some baggage. Same ones that we've dealt with. Issues in his past. We've been there. Terrible issues. His name meant deceiver. It meant trickster. He had issues with people, had problems with his family, had issues that had been passed from generation. Laban had, had, had frustrations with Laban, his uncle, Esau, his brother, couldn't, deceives him. And he tried everything that he could in his own effort and in his own strength and with his own power. And he got desperate. And he got desperate and in a place called Peniel. That means an encounter with God. He encounters God like never before. He encounters God and his life is never the same. And I don't know about you, but there's something deep down on the inside that says, God, I need something more. His life is never the same. And maybe that's you this morning. You've tried everything in your own effort. You've read all the self-help books you can possibly read. You've You've gone to places looking for what only God can do. You've tried everything in your own effort. You've tried everything in your own strength. And there's something on, on the inside that is just saying, I need more. Genesis chapter 32. 24 through 30. It says this, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When you see that word man, it means an angel. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So that his hip was wrenched. And I'll explain that here in just a little bit. As he wrestled with the man, then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. But Israel, that's a good name, isn't it? Because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. Your, your name will no longer be deceiver, but now your name's going to be Israel. That means prince. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel. 
saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And my hope, as I wrap up this series, is that you have heard it all, and that you would stand at a place with me and say, I need the power of His Spirit in my daily walk like never before. Because temptations are going to be there. People talking bad at work are going to be there. There's always going to be some negativity that seems to come from social media or that comes through the media. There's always going to be something negative that tries to have its place in my life. Everything in this world is fighting for my time and your time. I need His Spirit. I need His Spirit in my daily walk. And that it would produce in you the same thing that it produced in Jacob. So I'm going to give you three sub-points. The first is that it would produce a new strength. A new strength. Why did God dislocate his hip? It is the largest muscle on the human body. It is the largest muscle, and it is a place of strength. It, is, it was the place of his own natural strength. So God said, I'm going to dislocate the place that you rely on the most. I'm going to hit the place that you have been counting on. I'm going to hit that place. And we, we, we grow to understand that he walked with the limp for the rest of his life. That every step he took, that he would be reminded, that he would be reminded that he is held together not by his strength, that it doesn't matter what his physical body was doing, there was a greater strength at work in his life. that he would be reminded that you can't walk through life without me. That every step that he took, it was a reminder. I need Jesus, I need God in my life. Every step that he took as he, as he he moved around and as he didn't have the, the normality of his hip working the way he once did. But every step that he took was a reminder that I, it's not what I can do. It's him working through me. Paul understood this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is this incredible. Incredibly educated man. He had what theologians believed to be two doctorates by the age of 21 years old. And this is what he says. Writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And look what he says. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. But with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. It is about him. A new strength. And then that it would produce in us a new identity. A new identity, a new name. Jacob, you will no longer be. Now you're going to be Israel. You're no longer a trickster because in in the Bible, your name was tied to your destiny. And in that moment when he had that encounter with God, his life was going to change forever. So his destiny had to change. So you can no longer be a deceiver. You can no longer be a trickster. But now you're going to be a prince. And can I tell you, he stands here today and wants to give us a new identity. In him. Every time that you see that somebody had an encounter with God, their lives were changed, but their names were changed. Abram, you're no longer going to be Abram. You will now be Abraham. You're going to be not just the father, but you're going to be the father of many nations. When, when Paul, when Saul of Tarsus encountered God, he, he, his name was changed from Saul to Paul. And Peter went to, to Petros to, to be in the, their names changed. And can I tell you that maybe you've struggled with this, that you have bought into an identity that has tried to label you and, and that uh, bought into an identity of who you once were, an addict or, 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 or a drunk or whatever, or, or, or a liar. Whatever it may be for you that that identity has wanted to, to take you over, but I come to cancel that identity and to tell you that if you are in Christ you are a new creature that you no longer have to be tied to anything you were that today is a new day that you can walk out of this place with a new identity as you encounter God as you encounter his presence and his power and the last is this that you would experience a new strength through his spirit, that you would experience a new identity and that you would experience a new joy. Is your joy tank running on empty? Are you not as pleasant as you once were? Do you find your life overwhelming? The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. He wants to give you a new joy. And when I, when I say this, it's not the ability to smile, but it's something that's deep down on the inside. Something that holds you together that whatever, in whatever moment you find yourself, regardless of your surroundings, that there is a joy that cannot be explained. There is a joy that cannot be surpassed. Psalm 1611 says this, you make me, you make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There is a new joy available to you. There is a new joy available to you. Don't be burdened again. Don't be burdened again. Don't be burdened again by the yoke that wants to, in a conniving way, come back into your life and try to 
entangle you. The Bible says it's a sin that so easily entangles us. But let's stay humble. Let's be honest. And let's go after his spirit. So today we're going to end in a different way. We're going to enter, we're going to have a time of worship, but we're going to have a moment where you just go after God, whatever that looks like for you, whether it be in this altar, and I, I would encourage you to come, whether it be in your seat, that we would just have a moment that we would say, Holy Spirit, I need Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you today. We thank you today for your word. That brings us hope. Maybe some of us in this place today, God, have fallen into the cycle. And, and we get stuck. And we say, can I ever be better? Can I ever be better than this? And they've asked themselves the question, God, I pray that your word would encourage them and reach them and find them and identify them right where they're at. That there is hope because of you. God, that we would remain humble, that we would be honest, and that we would acknowledge the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we need you at every step and at every turn. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to address the issue that may be standing in your way today. That Jesus loves you that much that he came and he died for you. And maybe the first step that you need to take today is to surrender your life to Jesus. To open your heart and say, I'll let you in. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And that if anyone would hear my voice and if they opened the door, he stands, but you have to open the door. He said, I'll come in with him. I'll come in and dine with him and him with me and he with me. He's the God that will leave the 99 and he goes after the one. So today, he's chasing after you. He's going after you and he says, you don't have to live with the shame and you don't have to live with the guilt. You don't have to live with the burden. You can bring it to me. And if that's you today and you say, I'm tired, I'm working this out on my own and I feel like I'm just hitting a wall time and time again. Can I tell you, the answer is Jesus. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that is you and you say, today is the day that I receive Jesus into my life. You don't have to come up here. You don't even have to stand up. All you need to do is just, I want you to raise your hand right now, right where you're at as a sign of surrender. Raise your hand right now as a sign of surrender. I see you all over this place right now. And I want everyone at the sound of my voice because we believe in community and that you shouldn't have to do life alone. So we pray together. I want you to, everyone to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me.
for taking my place. I receive you in my heart. Be the Lord of my life and let me live the life you died to give me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God praise for everybody that received him here today? God bless you.